Welcome. Welcome to another episode of the PodQuest. PodQuest. Broadcasting from all around Vol Nation. Where we talk about Vols football, <laughs> basketballs, recruiting, and exclusive interviews with those closest to the program. Now, you're about to experience the PodQuest. And good evening. Good evening, Tennessee fans. This is Georgia Tech Fall, and God is shining down on us today because it is not only Sunday, but Tennessee basketball whooped up on the Kentucky Wildcats yesterday in a top seven showdown. So we are pumped this week. We're so excited for an amazing show. Okay, I'm going to calm down here a little bit, but again, we're excited to have a ne- the next edition of, of the PodQuest as we continue to roll around and every week after week, bringing you some exciting content, talking Tennessee football, Tennessee basketball, recruiting. You heard the intro. We do it all, and we do a little off-topic as well. So thank you again so much for listening. I've got a star-studded cast with me, a lot of our normal casters, so you guys are going to just get hit in the face with some entertainment tonight. We're going to have a few laughs and have a good time. So again, thank you for listening. As I said, my name is Georgia Tech Vol. I am your host, and I'm here with Priest Vol, PTC Vol, my father, Bleed Orange 23, and last but not least, Powell Vols. Hopefully, he's got a little bit of a weather quest down here in Atlanta, we were hit with some with some storms. So everybody stay safe. And that being said, we're going to do a couple intros here. So first, I'm going to give the floor to my dad, Bleed Orange 23. How are you tonight, sir? Doing great. Um, really excited over uh, the last week of basketball and some of the things that have happened there. And I hope that uh, nobody thinks less of me. I'm not sure that's possible. But I actually was playing golf during the Tennessee-Kentucky game and had recorded that. Out on the practice tee, I actually found a blue tee with white Kentucky imprinted on it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I told the guys about it. I said, I really don't know if this is a good omen or a bad omen. If Tennessee loses, it's probably my fault for picking up this tee. But I did disrespect it. I didn't use it. So I think it's just because of that that we just absolutely dominated Kentucky. Well, thank you for that. And speaking of disrespect, I saw how you called out Austin Price and, and called him Uncle Austin. Austin this week. And then after that, after disrespecting him, you asked him to play golf. Now, how many times have you asked him to play golf and he never responds? I feel I feel oh. like a little disrespected. Well, last year, actually, on the way down to the Masters, it came up and uh, he and Brent were going down, I believe. But it was during spring practice and they just had a really short window and just had to kind of go down there and, and couldn't squeeze in a golf game. But, you know, I got a feeling that Austin Price would take one if he had an opportunity. Thank you for being on Bleed Orange. I appreciate it. The man with the plan, he is the Justin Bieber of the PodQuest. His name is Priest Fall. Priest, how are you, man? I'm good, guys. I'm glad to be back this week. What is? I just have a question. What is it going to take to upgrade to like Justin Timberlake instead uh, of Justin really? Bieber? You like, like you like Timberlake over Bieber, huh? All day, all day. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's up for vote for the rest of the guys. What you know, what they, whatever they think. But I would like to no, say that... Bieber, but whatever the other okay. guys. Okay, I was thinking more, more of Corey Haim. God, it's <laughs> going downhill fast. <laughs> Look, if you want to be Timberlake, we can call you the Justin Timberlake. So you tell me. Yeah. But yeah, you're the I'll only. Let our listeners, our our listeners can choose what Perfect. they think. We'll put it. We'll, I will put a poll up. I've been doing polls. You know, now when I post the, the thread, so I'll put a poll up and ask, you know, if you should be Timberlake or Bieber. So, you know, we'll, we'll leave it to the to the audience to decide. Yeah, give them a write-in vote. That'll be fun. Oh, yeah, that's just cool. to see. 
That was a good one too. So I'm sure yeah. there'll be some interesting, interesting responses. But appreciate you being on, man. I know life is still busy. Baby's doing well, and Mama's doing well also. Yeah, all, all is good. Um, I don't want to give a free ride to Toyota, but they helped me out by brewing some coffee the last week. You guys saw that video, so pretty interesting. Our power went out and um, plugged the Keurig into the bed of the truck. So if you want a truck that can get you through um, the middle of the night with a cup of coffee, um, you can buy a Tacoma. They're they're really special and they bring a lot of love to your family. That, that, <laughs> that video should go viral. So hopefully, you know, hopefully you get paid off of that one pretty pretty well. So I would put that one up on YouTube if I were you. Get a little money. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I'm gonna hit them up and Keurig since it actually worked. Oh yeah, and Keurig too. So get get a bunch of. We should get some PodQuest sponsored uh, K cups and uh, it could be our faces on there in each one. So you know. PTC's got its own flavor. Bleed Orange has got, you know, one of one of the ones for the older crowd with a little extra, you know, vitamins and bone stuff in it and everything. Extra caffeine. Extra caffeine. <laughs> uh, um, so it'll, that'll be interesting. But appreciate you being on, man. Thanks thanks for joining us. Uh, Powell Vols, what's up, brother? How are you, dude? I'm doing good. Uh, glad to be here. You know, what a what a different a week uh, difference a week makes uh, with the just the enthusiasm with everybody after uh, two big wins this week and uh, hopefully we can uh, you know keep on winning. I know it's it's unbelievable. We were I was kind of talking the death of the Tennessee basketball last week. That was kind of the theme, but it was obviously it was joking around. But then you look at this week and two big wins and it's everybody's rocking and rolling and. Tennessee's a number one seed now and it's 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 exciting but it's funny how up and down how up and down it goes but uh, appreciate hey, if we can uh, yeah if we can get some uh, if we can get priests to get us some uh, K cups we can we can call one of them uh, uh, MAGA cup or something and send them to Rob Lewis <laughs> <laughs> well supposedly doesn't listen so maybe he won't hear this and thanks for listening Rob we really do appreciate it though yeah Rob's a good dude I'm just giving him a hard time I like Rob <laughs> thank you so much pal for being on and uh, PTC what's up dude how are you my friend man everything's good down here just glad the storm didn't get as bad as I thought they were going to get. Uh, nobody huffed and puffed and blew my house away, so that's good news. Well, um, you have to share the other piece of good news as well because you've been missing for a little while. Uh, yes, I am now unbanned. I am back from that uh, neighbor, neighboring South American country known as Chile, and it was a uh, enjoyable time and spent some time on the main board doxing some folks, one of which you guys probably know. Um, and that was enjoyable. So, you know, whoever banned me, shout out to you. Well done. Um, although I wish it would have been over something a little bit different because obviously that was pretty lame right. and you're a narc, but there is that. Well, I, I think we've all tasted Chile a little bit Maybe Bleed Orange hasn't. I thought he was trying to with calling out um, Uncle Austin there. But uh, I know I've, I've definitely made my way over to Chile a number of times. But it's been an interesting time on the board as well. And I know that we've spent a lot of time. Did you ha- Have any of you guys spent a lot of time over on the, the Kentucky board after the victory? I'm bant. Bant over there? Yeah, I don't think I'm allowed over there anymore. They don't like me. <laughs> I've been- I've been trying. Reason I was asking is I've been trying to do the the kind of nice guy thing, the Bob Sacamano thing, and, and hit, him, <laughs> hit him with some subtle jabs. And then I really just one day just want to do something really crazy that would get me fully banned forever over there. But I'm on this thing back and forth with them that PJ Washington elbowed William uh, Grant Williams in the face, and he should have had a flagrant one. So they 
keep coming at me on that. So if anybody that's listening can find a clip of Washington elbowing Williams before they did the other two angles that really looked like he didn't, and it looked like a flop. But if you can get that first angle when he hits them, that would be great. I'd appreciate that. I'll send you a gift card to Chipotle. I just don't have a DVR and I'm too lazy to go through the whole game on um, the ESPN app. So anyway, first world problems. But one last thing I did want to say, I do before we go into the Kentucky-Tennessee game, I do want to give a shout out to Pong. I think it's 876 or 867. Great poster. Really, you know, positive poster, I think, on the board. (laughs) Because uh, Trey Young is having a marvelous 2019. And this is actually after I met him at church. And I told him that I specifically was pulling for him. I said, hey, I am specifically on your side. And, you know, I'm blessing you right now. You're going to do well. (laughs) Now he's on this streak that I can't do anything but take credit for it. So congratulations, (laughs) Trey Young. Pong, actually, just to go back for those of you that don't know, he got into it with me during the summer league and declared Trey Young a bust, essentially, and said that, uh, Luka Doncic was about oh, yeah. and that Trey Young's not going to be able to shoot three points, uh, three pointers. He's not going to be able to get in the lane because it's more critical. The defenders are going to be better. And here he's gone in, in February and he actually would have had probably 40 points again against the Bulls today, but he got ejected. He only played 18 minutes, but he had 18 points. So he's rattled out 49 points, 36 points in consecutive games. I think 30 in another game before that. And not on, not only is he scoring all the points, but he's having incredible du- double digit assist game. So I, I, I hate to go long here, but I, I did want to give a little shout out to Pong on that because I, I personally told Pong that I will actually never let this go for the entire career of Trey Young. And I personally mean that I will be posting additional stats as the years go on on VolQuest and, and tagging him. As long as he's on VolQuest, you will hear about Trey Young's accolades. And I will be you know, making sure that that happens. So I don't have a grudge or anything. It's just part of the weirdness of what I do. So sorry about that, Pong, but you're going to be, you know, unlock for the next you know 17 18 years so thank you for that thank you for the entertainment there so let's talk a little bit about uh, magnificent week that tennessee basketball had two big wins and a big momentum shift a big change what the heck happened this week i'll start with you powell what the heck happened to the old tennessee where we thought they were on this downward spiral versus now what do you think stood out we touched on this before the show and uh my feeling is that the the Ole miss game was bigger as far as the season as a whole than the Kentucky game. Um, you know, we had lost two out of three. We hadn't played all that well in two or three weeks. Um, I think everybody could, could tell, everybody could sense that um, we were about to, you know, go in a bad direction. And winning that Ole Miss game, I think, you know, propelled us into the Kentucky game. Because I'm just, you know, not saying that we wouldn't have been ready to play and it wouldn't be a big game and all that stuff, but um, it they would have been a little bit less sort of, we would have been knocked out of first place. We wouldn't be playing for that. And it would just have been a, kind of a disappointment leading up to that. But... Um, you know, I just—it's almost like um, it's almost like the players kind of said to themselves, "Okay, we've got to go now because it's getting getting to that point where we can't we can't suffer no more losses. We got to start playing like we played earlier in the year, get back to Tennessee basketball, and that's kind of a little bit more how we played in Ole Miss, and obviously that's how we played it with uh, played Kentucky here, um, which was just 
an incredible effort, uh, maybe the best effort of the year, even with the Gonzaga game and uh, stuff. But that was just one of the best games I had seen us play in a long time. Yeah, and, and we obviously picked it up defensively. And, you know, to P.J. Washington having 13 points in the first half when we played at Kentucky to having 13 points the whole game was huge. And we he act, we actually made him, I feel like we made him use his left hand a lot more, which was nice because <laughs> he, he kept going over his dang right hand a lot of times, you know, when we played at Rupp. So it, it was nice to see and even throwing some double teams his way uh, a number of times too. So that was, that was good to see that. So bleed orange, anything else that really stood out to you for, for that Kentucky Tennessee game? Well, I think that uh, Kentucky did get a whistle. Um, there was, I believe a pretty good discrepancy in fouls. And <clears throat> fortunately, again, we can point this out after a victory. Um, it wasn't the reason that the, the game was won or lost by anybody, but um, certainly uh, that kind of a situation needs to continue to show progress. Uh, I think really kind of the Kentucky game was really an odd one. And, and I you know, spoke before the first Kentucky game, I posted on the board and there's conversation about it, about said, look guys, you know, I talked about it after the first game up there. I said, this is a Kentucky-Tennessee series. And I'll say it again, the SEC championship is more than likely going to go through these teams. Hopefully Tennessee will be in the championship game and they'll probably be playing Kentucky. So you've got the two regular seasons games, you've got the SEC championship, and then it is possible for them to meet in the NCAAs. So this is a a Tennessee-Kentucky series. I said at the time I was excited to see how this was going to play out. We have just now seen the second game in the series, and uh, Tennessee evened it up. It was a much better game by Tennessee uh, Bone was just brilliant in that game and really controlled it. And it, you, we just had that sense throughout the game that Tennessee was in control and Kentucky was not going to win. Well, hold on uh, here. I, I think <laughs> I, I don't, we don't appreciate your kind coming on here, talking all level headed and thinking about this being a series, which I think it's a magnificent point. We like to ride the highs and lows here on the pod quest. <laughs> this, hey, this is a series. Again, I think that's a, a beautiful point that you have made that, this you know, losing at Kentucky, everybody kind of freaked out, and then winning this one, which nobody's really even said anything after Tennessee, as far as the national pundits. I don't really think. I don't think we've gotten as much credit. I know we've gotten back to a one seed or whatnot, but not as much credit as Kentucky got when they beat us. And I didn't know that that one guy being out was going to be that big of a big of a thing. I didn't know he was an All American player or a first round pick or anything. So. Um, it's interesting. That, so go ahead, pal. That, that guy. That guy's a grad transfer. Right. And they're acting, yeah, they're acting right. yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, yeah. and they're acting like he was a difference in the game. I mean, I read the Kentucky boards too, and I look, and then they, you know, they had look they at you, a I'm lot. Of, well, I, I am too, I am too, but I can, I can like get around that by just using like the Google app and whatever. I can't post, but I can read. And, uh, and so, but just reading what people were saying, they were blaming, they were just saying, the difference in the game was obviously the difference in the game was him and it's a he's a grad transfer and right. I, I just so want to post you know i can't but i just so want to post that out of all your five-star players a grad transfer is a guy who would have won the game for you all i mean that's just well, ridiculous. I, I hate to be fair at all the kentucky fans but wasn't the guy all pack 10 first team all pack 10 before transferring 
He, I don't he, know what. Here's, here's, here's a question, Bleed Orange. I know you're old yeah. and you know you're in your twilight years and Wait, is this year or whatever. <laughs> but my yeah, question is this: Pac-10 hasn't existed in a while. So was he like, you know, is he this guy like thirty or something? <laughs> yeah, I don't I'm just know. wondering because you know, I, so far as I know, Pac-12 is still around, and just like their football program, their basketball program sucks. So <laughs> you have to explain to me why being all Pac-12 actually makes it any sense at all and why it means he's good because they just suck all around well yeah i i can't say that uh that is necessarily the loftiest endorsement and i and i sit corrected because i'm not standing at the moment but i do sit corrected <laughs> and, um, it was uh it, you know he, I guess what my point is, he wasn't nothing, and he certainly did show up in the first game. I don't think he was. It, he would have made a difference in this game. It may have been better for Kentucky, but it wouldn't have made a difference. And I think this was kind of like a perfect storm. Tennessee played a lot better. Kentucky got rattled um, in our environment, and. Man, kudos to the Tennessee fans. They really brought it. In that yes, game. agreed. Yeah, and that was going to be what I, what I was going to ask uh, PTC on that. You know, I, ha- I kind of eat a little bit of crow here because I've been calling out the fans for sitting pretty much all game and only clapping when it's a dunk or a three. But they really brought their A game on, on Saturday, didn't they? Yeah, we uh, we yeah. talked about this, but you know, watching Kentucky, Tennessee, and Rupp. You know, that's like that's like t- Neyland Stadium when you know Vols are playing well and playing playing good and tba this past saturday was i mean it was reminiscent of you know the years when chris lofton was here and we had and uh when bruce pearl was coaching us too that the arena was just going nuts and that's what we need we need to have that the fact that it was you know one of the biggest recruiting weekends we've had ever that helped out big time too um just kudos to the fans everyone that was there everyone there in orange and it's been posted on the board. Well done, guys. For those of y'all that couldn't go, you sold your tickets to a Vol fan yeah, instead of to a Blue fan. That was well done. So th- they get a they get a big, big time W for that too because they helped out a lot. Quick question to you guys. So this is kind of my conspiracy theory mind going to work here a little bit, but I felt like the the crowd at Kentucky was a little not manipulated, but a little bit more motivated by it being a game. You know, they did the game day. They had the team out doing interviews on, on game day. You know, the half court shot. They had all that kind of stuff going on, all that brewing on number one team coming in. So I'm not saying that the, the crowd wasn't pumped up. They really, I, in my opinion, downplayed this Kentucky-Tennessee game at Tennessee, and the fans freaking came, and they did their thing versus the fans, you know, in Rupp Arena. So maybe I'm, you know, it's apples and orange comparisons, but it just felt like Tennessee brought it to another level uh, versus kind of this manufactured hype that got everybody riled up and got this environment riled up at, at Rupp. I'm, am I wrong in thinking that, or am I just being a conspiracy theorist? Yeah, I see where you're going. I mean, I, see, it, I, I feel you. Yeah, it, it was also that that game was also an eight eight o'clock at night game too. It, right. There was no, there was like no other games on. I uh-huh. think, I'm pretty sure there might have been some West Coast games on or something, but right. pretty much that was the biggest game of the night. You right. Know? So I mean, everybody was watching. There was there there wasn't probably half the people watching the Tennessee Kentucky game at Tennessee. Right. Where there was that game. So I mean, I yeah, I mean, I, I get you. I mean, it just it just felt, you know, again, they stick us with the two o'clock. Granted, it was a CBS one that was that was great and everything. It stuck us with a two o'clock game, but they put us in the you know the big Saturday showdown one at five or whatever they were at the time. 
and they built that thing up to be some great act. And again, Tennessee, they didn't play great, but um, I, it could have been a closer game, obviously. And they, they had their chance. You know, I think it was down seven or whatever at the time. I just, I felt like the atmosphere was a little bit more manufactured to kind of keep the blue blood. You know, they wanted Kentucky to win. There's just this feeling, this under, you know, understated feeling during that whole day. And then this Tennessee at Knoxville, it, think if they had had game day at Knoxville and this this atmosphere highlighted on ESPN at eight o'clock at night with the recruits there and the recruits at home watching Grant Williams throwing the freaking alley-oop to, to Bowden and just throwing it down and the threes. I mean, that place would have gone crazy. So anyway, I'm off of my conspiracy theory there, but that's kind of what I've been thinking about a little bit this weekend. One thing, Priest, I want to ask you about this. I, I feel like Barnes went to his bench a little bit more and utilized that. And my boy, White Iverson, John Fulkerson, <laughs> like you play a great game. What do you think about, how, you know, who really stood out for you out of, out of uh, not, you know, the main stars, but who really kind of stood out for you uh, for this team? Yeah, but real quick to go back, what you guys, could yeah. you imagine Dickie V trying to call a game in Knoxville like it was, Tennessee just boat racing Kentucky? He, he I don't think he could have done it. Like, right. I, he's too blue blood to be able to control himself. He would he would have been pulling for Kentucky that they could come back at yep. five minutes left when they were down by 17. Um, but, yeah, I digress. I'm not a big Dickie V voice fan anyway. Um, so, no, yeah, you're right. Um, I'm only going to harp for two seconds on our boy Cal Alexander because um, he played 12 minutes, didn't have any points, um, had five fouls and six rebounds. So, good for him. Um, so that, that, that leads me, that leads me, that leads me into John Fulkerson playing more and rotating Derek Walker in like Barnes did, you know, Walker didn't have any points, but he did have two rebounds, um, and a couple of assists. He did look a little lost from time to time, but you know, I think you can interchange him and pawns from time to time. If, if they're running in the right setup, um, to make up for Alexander's lack of, of play. Um, and then you have Fulkerson, which, I mean, hats off to that kid. Watching him play makes you pretty much fired up to see him die for the ball, get a rebound. He, he doesn't hold anything back. Um, he, he, he's not the best offensive player, which is fine because he got his stuff smacked at the, at the top of the rim pretty easily. But um, he, he makes plays that don't show up on the stat sheet. And I think that that's my guy for this week. And I know he's your boy um, as well. Fall to the ground, I don't think, this week either, by the way. He think. didn't. He didn't fall down. That was good for him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a stat line I keep, actually. <laughs> So it's fall. F- How many times Fulky falls? Yeah, it's FTG falls falls to ground. So um, I had a zero in the FTG category. So he had like two. He had like two or three blocks. Also, he had like two blocks on one possession. Exactly. That's a good point, pal. Yeah. They didn't give him that second block, but he went and stuffed that first one, and then had the good verticality on the second. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, watching that game though, I, I, you know, I think I texted you guys. I said Bone's gonna have a career day, and that kid went off. Like you could tell, he had like a look in his eye of going into that game that he was about to do there some, it is. Some, some dirty things. Um, and and he did. I mean, he was aggressive. He drove into the paint very easily and effortlessly, like he should be doing all year long. Um, you know, he did get in a little foul trouble there at the first. Uh, first half where he kind of he got pulled for a little while, which I think his stat line could have been even better if he didn't get fouls early. Um, but you know, he I think that might be his coming out party, and I stand by that thinking he's one of the nation's top, if not the top, point guard just from a a, a knowledge of the game, the way he plays it, how he passes. 
Um, I mean, heck, our, our own, you know, Jesse Simpson compared him to John Wall. So um, that, yeah. that's that's some pretty impressive company. And I know uh, PTC thinks uh, he's Pistol Pete. So, you know, <laughs> with, it's, his, it's, with the way he passes is absolutely a good yeah. comparison. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not saying anything about the offensive game other than assists. I'm comparing him to that. Oh, that no. is, you know, the guy has an uncanny, uncanny sixth sense about where the open guy is going to be. And it's beautiful yeah. to watch he's also smooth like he, he, yeah. he he's not jerky like or whatever or kind of spastic like he's smooth with everything he does his steps are um even though he accelerates really fast it, it doesn't look like he's out of control when he accelerates and stuff and i, I know there's a there's like a tweet that was floating around that was pretty funny where um twice two different times um hero for kentucky uh, was like he, he's like slaps. I hate uh, that guy. Yeah, he's he likes he slaps the the floor or whatever, and bone just blows right by him. And, and it is, and, and he was just standing there. It was hilarious, but. Well, and, it, and thanks for well, going for five from three, hero. By the way, really quickly, yeah. bleed orange. I was going to ask you something. Um, another game against Kentucky, the Blue Blood. Another big discrepancy in foul free throws I'll say and I think Tennessee had at one point it was or excuse me Kentucky had maybe two fouls in 15 minutes and I, I, I really feel like the referees were trying their best to keep that game close is that is that what you were seeing out there did you feel like it was a fairly close well, I was really surprised when I watched it uh, the replay I, some of the off ball stuff again where we would have guys under the basket and the Kentucky guys were trying to uh, as Rick Barnes said established early on that they're going to be physical. And I, I couldn't believe some of the pushing that they got away with. I mean, just shoving a guy much smaller, you know, just through uh, their running their offense and getting mismatches and somebody being a little smaller in there and just getting pushed out of the way for no reason. I mean, there was nothing, it had nothing to do with the play or screens or anything. It was just, they're just trying to be physical. Um, so I, I was really surprised that some of the things happened that happened. I think they maybe got a little better as the game went on, but um, you can understand why the Kentucky guys seemed to be incredulous when they got called for fouls because they were getting away with so much. Yeah, they, that guy off the bench, I believe it. That's a good point. Yeah. That, that guy off the bench, um, who was it? Uh, is it Montgomery? He was the, the one with the, the big afro. Yeah, Montgomery. Yeah. He, he was very physical in that game the last game and now he came in trying to do the same thing and they they started blowing the whistle early on him yeah but they wouldn't call him they wouldn't call him for a moving screen to save his life though like every time he set up for a screen his feet were like move four or five feet along with the tennessee player and i was like are you kidding me like how can you not call this along with him sorry pal go ahead man no that's it's something else is uh something about the officials or whatever i didn't realize this until earlier today when i was reading some tweets or whatever that we we probably scored. I'm just, I'm just, just guessing. Seventy percent of our points probably was in the paint. I'm just assuming Bone got to the rim quite a few times. We made eight. We made eight three pointers. Uh, but it seems like, uh, you know, Williams had like 24 or so, and most of those are going to be at the free throw line. Well, I guess he did make three threes. But anyway, eight of his, uh, yeah, we, eight of his points were at the free throw line. 
Yeah, and we, but in the second half, we did not shoot a single free throw in the second half of that game. Wow. Not one. That's free right. Throw. I think we only ended up uh, with, Kentucky only ended up with what, two, was it two or three fouls called against them in the second half? The, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Throws. I'm not sure exactly. On, yeah, they uh, weren't in the finals. Yeah, um, the free throws was uh, Tennessee shot 14, Kentucky shot 29. And what's, what's even, what's Gosh. even, and I, I know those, I know, I know, um, field goal attempts does not count like when you get fouled or whatever, but we shot 18 more um, field goals than Kentucky did for the game, and and they shot, what, 15 more free throws than we did. Now, how's that? How's that possible? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. You would think of even a third of those were, yeah. were potentially uh, fouls, right? A third were of any, them. Were any of these guys, you know, were any of these guys reffing the – LSU UT game? No, I don't think so. Or were they just I, actually, watching I, tape and getting, getting ideas of yeah. what to do? <laughs> well, at one point, Another... I think they, and to your point real quick, Powell, I'll get back to you, but I, I think at like nine minutes in the second half, they were already in the bonus. And I remember at one point thinking, oh, great. They're, you know, they're calling fouls. They were calling ticky-tack fouls, like offensive, re- um, on, on our offensive side, we were going for a rebound or something. They call a foul. And then it's like, you're stopping the clock and you're just walking it down and letting them shoot free throws. And that's where Washington got a lot of points in the second half. It's just ridiculous. And uh, something else I saw that was interesting is um, we were nine for fourteen from the free throw line, and they were twenty. They were nineteen of twenty nine. So they missed more free throws than we made, and we shot the exact, almost the exact same percentage. Wow. That's how many. That's how many more attempts they got than we did. That's crazy. Well, that is nuts. But it sounds like it sounds like there was. Maybe not the full LSU mode, but it was definitely us versus the Blue Bloods out there, and they wanted to keep it close, you know, as close as possible. But and we, they still didn't. <laughs> but remember one thing too. I want to say is one thing that falls into the category of Calipari gets it. In the first game, the fans started chanting "overrated," and Calipari yeah. jumped up and put his hands on there, said, "No, stop it, stop." I mean, he was he was vehement about it and uh, to get his fans to stop chanting that. So uh, I'm wondering what, what you guys think are the reasons why he did that. Is he just that classy of a guy? Nah, he, oh, him and Barnes no. are really good friends. Him and Barnes are really good friends. I think they're really close. And, I mean, in fact, I think there, there was a couple articles floating around out there where um, when Barnes got fired from Texas, like Calipari was one of the first guys that called him and said, hey, you need to take this Tennessee job. Um, we, you know, yeah, you're right. And so, and I just think they are close, and he probably didn't want to disrespect Barnes more than it's a Kentucky-Tennessee thing, you know, as far as, you know, as far as, you know, Cal probably don't care about Tennessee, and that's not what it's about. And he knew that they were going to have to play again, so he didn't want to have to eat those words, and what happened is they got beat, so it's a smart move by him. Yeah, and in in the post-game press conference, Cal made a very – Odd yeah, he was effusive where, with his comments. Yeah, and which one of them was something like um, when we beat Tennessee. He said something like when we beat Tennessee, people come out and said Tennessee are overrated or whatever. He said, are, are the same people going to come out and say we're overrated now? He said, of course you're not going to say that because cause Tennessee wasn't overrated then. That was just a bunch of crap. And yeah. he said, when, when we're not overrated now, he said, it's just two teams, similar match as far as, you know, the, the team itself. 
And uh, he said, you know, the home court makes a big difference. Well, how, how awesome will it be? Go, go ahead. I was going to say, how awesome would it be if it ends up Tennessee and Kentucky in the championship game in Nashville in the neutral court just to see you, you get a home and home in a neutral game, best of three to see what happens? That's going to be tough to do with the way things are right now. That that basically that would that Tennessee and Kentucky would have to finish like first and second and somehow another LSU would have to drop a third, I believe. For I, that think to happen. Cal, I think your point about the relationship between Calipari and Barnes is valid. But I also think, you know, there there may be uh, some level of class in the maneuver, but I also think that Calipari knows that from a national perspective that there were probably a lot of people out there who were wanting Duke to be number one or anybody other than Tennessee. Uh, to a large extent, Tennessee's kind of been uh, the, the darlings of the college basketball world with all the guys who weren't highly rated. And Rick Barnes was retirement Rick and everything else. And here these guys have risen from the ashes to become number one. But there were still a lot of disbelievers and for many people out there, that game in Lexington was an opportunity for them to point and say, look, you've, you've unmasked the pretenders. Tennessee wasn't that. And if Tennessee wasn't that good and if they were a pretender, then that win by Kentucky against the number one team in the country wasn't that. So I think that there could very well have been a part of that of, wait a minute, we need, we're beating the number one team in the country. I don't think so, Bleed Orange. I, the reason I say is this. I don't think Calipari is that smart. I believe that he is a better recruiter than Rick Barnes is, although the way that Rick, the way that Rick Barnes is recruiting now, you know, success breeds success, and that's what we're seeing with the guys that we're bringing on campus. But Barnes just outcoached him and outmotivated his guys uh, Saturday. I just don't believe Calipari is that intelligent to think that deeply about your point. I think it's a wonderful point you're making. I just don't think it entered into his mind because I don't believe he has the intelligence to come up with something like that. Well, I I understand what you're saying. Um, there was somewhere, I don't remember where, but there was somewhere afterwards also that I heard him say it wasn't good for the SEC. That, that game was not good for the SEC. So <clears throat> maybe in retrospect, maybe not in the moment, but certainly in retrospect, he was considering the impact that may have on the league and his perception around the country uh, with Tennessee getting pretty well demolished in, <laughs> in Lexington. Well, he said the same thing, actually, after the Tennessee game, after this game. He said it wasn't good for one team to completely blow out another team like in that situation, the same thing that happened to us in Lexington, that happened to them here. He he said yeah. his, he said he said in his post game that that that's it's not a good thing for that to happen in in for the league as a whole is to have teams blow out each other that are at the top of the you know the standings. Yeah, and I don't know why. I mean, well, really I don't know why he been in the league. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, but I don't even know why he cares about that. I mean, I don't. Why would he care about that? And just, why would just, he care? Because of seeding in the tournament. Well, why, exactly. well, well, why does he care who, how many teams gets in the tournament? His team's going to get in. They're going to be a top two or three seed at the least, you know. Because the and, better and, the league, because the better the league performs, and the more they get in, the better it looks for Kentucky. Because there's a lot of people out there who say, "Oh, they just played a, played a patty cake schedule." I at mean, this the, point, the Pac-10 is no good, right? Yeah, I had to throw that in there. Yeah. <laughs> if they Oh. If it existed, but I think I mean seriously for Kentucky. I mean, I, I get that I get that argument for Tennessee because we're kind of new to this. 
but why does that why would that matter for Kentucky? They're they're gonna get what they get no matter what the rest of the league does. If they're simple perception. Maybe. And think about but, this. What happened to them in the first game of the year? They talk about the Dude. You're talking about the first SEC game of the year? Or the no, first, the first like, game of the year, period. Yeah, like what happened between them and Duke? Yeah. Yeah, so the, the SEC being stronger, it kind of gives that a little less credence to the fact that they're not that good. It's all perception. Think, Whether it's reality guess, or not, it's all perception. Yeah, I just think Kentucky is going to, it doesn't, I just think it does it because of Kentucky and who they are. And granted, they deserve it. As hard as it is for me to say that, if they are a team that has two or three losses, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't even matter what schedule they played. It doesn't matter how good the rest of the SEC is. They're going to be one of the top eight seeds in the tournament. One of the things I think, too, that you're talking about is that the league kind of the goes and grows during the course of the year, um, and there's this ebb and flow to the season. And what you see often with Kentucky teams is they're not as good early in the year as they are late in the year. Agreed. Those are the kinds of things that people are looking at as far as, you know, strength of schedule over the course of the season. And, you know, how are they doing now? There may be some team that's lighting it up early in the year and they tail off at the end and they sort of lose momentum and they don't get the good seed. So it's it's all there's quite a few layers in it. I I'm thinking anyway. And they got you know the first get first SEC game of the year they got beat by Alabama, a team that's see, on the bubble. You know this is so where we go into this is where we go into a thing like who's who's the better coach? You know when you look at a guy like Rick Barnes and you see what he's done, and uh, you see we it, we've all talked you know over and over again about how great this team is. And how wonderful it's been to watch. And, you know, what a great job Barnes has done and the development. And, of course, Rick Barnes would be the first one to tell you that it's strength and conditioning and it's the, the trainers, it's the, you know, the, the guys themselves buying in, uh, the assistant coaches. There's, there's a real team involved there. Um, but, you know, you could look at – you could certainly make a, a an argument for Rick Barnes being a better coach than John Calipari. Uh, now, Juval made a, a thread about uh, Calipari being a Hall of Fame coach, and there are some people saying, well, you know, all he does is recruit. He's not that good of an excess O's guy, uh, but all he can do is recruit, all right? So with that said, you know, his team, there are 12 guys on his team this year. Nine of them are freshmen and sophomores. Now, yeah, they're really great. They've got one senior his name is Johnny David. He was all SEC academic last year. He's best known for making, you know, his He-Man poses from the bench when some 6'11 guy dunks on, you know, Ball State. Then there's the other the other upperclassman is a guy named Brad Calipari, the coach's son. He's a six-foot dynamic guard. Played in 12 games last year, and he rang the bell for three points during those games. He hauled in an amazing two rebounds and he showed his propensity as a playmaker by dishing out that single assist. So all the rest of the team are, are mainly, you know, he's got seven freshmen and a couple of sophomores in there. Um, yeah, there he's got a lot of talent, but you know, one of the things that so many people are saying is, well, we got a young team this year. <laughs> he's always got a young team. He's always got young guys out there. And somebody made a post today about, well, you know, it's almost like doom and gloom over Barnes recruiting at a high level. Oh, my gosh. 
the sky is falling. Now we're going to have these higher rated guys and they're going to have big egos and they won't play as well together. Well, okay, some people can never be happy, but uh, I'll throw this out to you guys and your thoughts on this. It seems like uh, certainly Calipari does a masterful job of taking this young talent and forming it through the year and molding it through the year to where they are constantly in the championship hunt at the end of the season. I, I think what Barnes has built is pretty phenomenal in, in the short amount of time and doing it in a clean manner versus Calipari who has utilized World Wide West and, and gone the one and done route and all that. You know, they're both great recruiters. Calipari's done some dirty things. I think they're both incredible coaches though. And uh, we'll see whoever wins this the third round, right? Who's gonna win and but you know, I think Barnes has done a better job working with Tennessee with the Tennessee program. Now, is he a better coach? I don't really know. I'll ask you guys. What do you think, Priest? That's tough. I, I think I think they're both great coaches. Um, Calipari's a little slimier, um, of course, than, than Rick is, and, and Rick doesn't have to be because he can develop talent probably as good, if not better, than anyone in the nation, as we've we've seen. He's taken you know guys that were out. Most of these kids were outside the top 150 players in the country, and has turned it into a a, a top five basketball team and, and a you know, a program on the rise that's probably going to be around for, for a while that the way he's recruiting and, and kind of building it from the ground up. Um, but, you know, then you have Cal, who's really great at developing these one and done kids that they come in knowing that Cal's going to get them ready to go to the league. That That's what he's known for. That's what he does. Now, does he do it the most clean way? Probably not. But he gets the job done and he wins titles from time to time and gets to the final four and, even if they are vacated, it still counts. He got there. Um, yeah, I, and this was, you know, I knew Bleed Orange, we were going to talk about this. So I did some searching really quick. So if you look at it from a number standpoint, Cal has 702 wins. Barnes has 685. But the winning percentages is kind of where it really shows that Cal, from a statistical standpoint, this isn't like a basketball knowledge. So I'm sure it'll It'll, it'll piss off some orange guy on the board that just bleeds orange with his tinted glasses on, and I'll, I'll, hey, I'll fight that. Yeah, yeah, it bleeds orange. Yeah, there you go. But but Cal has a 77 percentage, uh, a winning percentage versus Barnes 65 and has six Final Fours versus Barnes one, and Cal has a title. Barnes doesn't. So I think if you look at it like that, you, you can kind of base it – Based off the stats, if you're a stats guy, that's what you're going to look at. If you're going to look at it from a, you know, just a program building standpoint or a player development standpoint, I would go Barnes over Cal. But that that's just me. I can see both arguments. Let me you ask know, you this. Go ahead. Okay. Let, let me let me ask you this. Do you think Tennessee would be where they are now if the coaches swapped? If Cal had been coaching Tennessee's team for the last three or four years? And with the same players. I oh, with the same players? Yes, with the same players. What, what I mean is, like, if uh, if uh, what Barnes has assembled here, if Cal Perry was coaching that team, I don't see us being where we are now. No, I don't. I don't, think, I don't think Cal Perry's that good of a coach. I think, I mean, how hard is it to coach the best players in college basketball? I mean, you just almost got to roll the ball out there and just sort of kind of tell them what to do. And, and, and you and, – and the reason why I say that is because there's been times where I think a couple of years ago, Kentucky had a terrible year, but they recruited exactly the same way. They had all these five-star guys come in, but they didn't mesh. They didn't become a team. 
and they and they you know they play they play terrible. I think that's when Conzo we won in Knoxville by like thirty against them or something like that. And and Kentucky went to the NIT and got beat in the first round by like Stony Brook. Okay, I mean <laughs> they they had the best players. They had they had like one of the top recruiting classes. So how you know? How come... I think you can say that for any coach if, if in that situation. I mean, Cal Cal gets all most of the best players. I mean, so does Coach K, Coach you know Roy Williams at UNC. Um, but you can say the same thing about Alabama football right now too. They get all the best players. So how hard really is it to go out and not dominate when you have the best players? It, is it the coaching? Maybe. Is it just having a bunch of five stars? Probably. Is it a blend of both? Absolutely. So, I, But I agree with you, pal. I don't see Calipari having the same type of success with this roster that Barnes is having. He probably is patient enough to, to my, do that. That was actually my question. Okay, go ahead. No, that was my question too, pal. I, I, that was exactly what I was going to, to pose. I think that's a brilliant question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. I didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to steal you there. No, no, I sensed it. I sensed it coming, buddy. Mm-hmm. Well, um, real quickly, and speaking of, you know, and we'll talk recruiting here for, for a minute, but speaking of, just to kind of turn this to the side real quickly, about talking about uh, programs that are on the rise, shout out to Miss Holly Warlick and the women's basketball team. <laughs> another stellar week. And also Valdog47. Appreciate you making that thread and tagging me in it about women's sports um, because I'm the only person on the board that's ever said anything negative about women's sports. Um, so appreciate that. And shout out to, to Holly again. Hopefully we've already talked about Holly ad nauseum on here, but uh, assumption is she'll probably be gone at the end of this year. But just want to do that as a little bit of a, a break in between the Barnes Calipari discussion. I want to talk about recruiting a little bit on the basketball side. Obviously a big pick up today after such a stellar weekend and having, excuse me, having Corey Walker Jr., top 30 prospect, Rivals.com, 20-20 class, six foot seven, 205 pounds out of Florida, choosing Tennessee over a number of different schools in the country. I mean, how big of a pickup is this? Do you see Tennessee in this 2020 class continuing the momentum? I can only see good things forward here with the, the number of high-profile guys that were here on Saturday you're in it with Kessler and a number of other people. I'll pass it to you, PTC. Where do you think this class, the 2020 class, can be? Is this going to be one of these ones that we've never seen before at University of Tennessee? Are they going to? Are we going to have these guys who are talking to each other saying, "Hey, we're going to play together and do this thing that the Dukes of the world have done"? What, what I do think. You- uh, I think it can be an absolutely special class, and yes, I don't think it's going to be the. I don't think any other class is going to compare to what we've put together with the 2020 class once it's all said and done. Uh, I know that our current commit, uh, Corey Walker, he wants Jaden Springer and has been talking to Jaden Springer to bring him on. Josiah James has been in Jaden Springer's ear, also in Keon Johnson's ear, about coming and playing. I know that we're going to have Walker Kessler on campus for a one-on-one visit with the staff so that he and his family kind of get that personal feel and that personal touch to it. I know he knows what it's like to play in a big-time atmosphere. You know, he plays at a Woodward Academy in College Park, a great private school program that does real well every year. So if we can get him on board, uh, that would be awesome. Uh, And if he reclassifies to 2019, I haven't heard any 
anything about that whatsoever uh, since it's been mentioned, I don't know, several weeks ago. Uh, so who knows what's going to happen there. But either way, if we could get him on board along with Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer, that's a ridiculously amazing class. Heck, if we just get one of those guys and it's Kessler, that's who I would really like out of the uh, 2020 class to bring in with Corey Walker, that would be great too. But, you know, what is I uh, also want to know what Josiah James is going to do. Is he going to be a one and done? Is he going to be, you know, a two year guy? Because I don't see him replacing uh, Bone. Perhaps he comes in and takes Turner's spot uh, because it looks like he moves better, has better athleticism, and is, has a better shot and more confidence. So is he going to be a two? Uh, that's probably where he ends up being. But that being said, I think we're going to see something in 2020 that the Hill hasn't seen in terms of getting basketball recruits signed and put on the floor. I mean, no, it would, it would be incredible. Do you got you know, Powell? Do you think Kessler is going to move to 2019, or do you think he's going to do 2020? I don't. Is I wonder if that's just a like a like a personal deal, or if that's like a business deal trying to get to 2019. I mean, because I don't know what um, is that just his is that just because he wants to get to the nba faster or is he you know you know what i'm saying like why would you want to transfer that you know reclassify to 2019 so you can get to college faster um you know i don't know what i, I would never know what goes through a person's mind to even think about stuff like that well but, one, um, one thing i think about to that point is if you know if if let's just say he's a tennessee lean right i'm not saying that he's going to go there but let's say he's a lean there's a big guy named Joel Embiid light, Kyle Alexander, <laughs> he's going to be gone. Right? And you've got a big, you know, gap to fill there. And maybe Kessler's looking at coming in starting day one as, you know, and solidifying that center position. I know they've got DJ Burns out there and Walker that's hopefully trying to get a little bit better. But if he could come in, if he's a 2019, they plug him in with maybe a Grant Williams Maybe a bone, maybe a Josiah, or yes, a Josiah James, Bowden, and all those other guys. That's a killer. This is, the thing. The thing about James is, and then PTC was talking about the um, you know coming in and then taking Turner's spot. I can see, I can see James coming in and actually taking uh, Admiral's spot and playing a three and being more of an outside three than the post up three that that Admiral does. Um, uh, just he's about six six, so they're probably he's not going to be as physical, obviously, but height wise are about the same, and he's probably a little bit better of a natural shooter. So I can see them kind of running, changing the offense a little bit, where where James is a little bit more outside perimeter type oriented player. No, it's going to be interesting. It's it's really just exciting to to think about and just to think of the different options if if some of these guys potentially do sign. But I, I'm hoping that that's they're trying to build some class that's never been built before here at Tennessee. I would just absolutely love it as well. And now here's the thing is if, if Kessler does reclassify, that means somebody's got to go because we're full right now. And I don't know who that would be, you know, maybe, I don't know. I don't want to throw out names, but there's a couple of guys over there that you wonder if they will ever play. Um, so at least one guy that seems like he's been hurt the whole time. And um, uh, so seven you know, footer, the seven footer white guy, I think, right, or six ten or something white guy. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't played any. He's um, he's in his redshirt freshman year, and yeah. he's not playing this year. And and you know, and I don't I don't know if he's not playing because 
competition or if he's not playing because he just physically can't play right now. Right. You know, I don't know. Yeah, he might he might uh he might be gone, but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be neat bleed orange. Do you where do you where do you see this 2020 class going? Well, I think it's going to be great, really. Uh, one of the things that, again, I picked up from somewhere over the last few weeks was how Barnes is bringing in these guys, but they're also spending a lot of time around the team. And people like Admiral and others will go to Coach Barnes and give him their thoughts on these kids. I mean, you know, one of the questions that was posed, as I mentioned earlier on the board, was, well, gosh, you know, he's getting in all these big ego guys, it's not going to be the same as Admiral and Grant and everybody else on the team. Um, these are going to be highly rated kids and we're going to have our own sense of problems with these kids. But, you know, that's not necessarily the case just because a, a young man is highly rated and, and doing well doesn't mean that he necessarily has ego. But I think that Barnes is going to be recruiting the, to a certain character of young man and, I think that uh, whoever he brings Great in point. is going to go well. Absolutely. And I also yeah, he's, like – go ahead. As I say, he's not going to compromise the culture that he's building for, for just a big-time player to come in. They're going to have to fit both – both check both boxes. Well, I agree completely. And one of the things that, that um, you know, was was written about by Carolina Vol, he, he put on the – on a post saying that we need to cherish this team, the players, the coaches, the trainers, et cetera. We may never uh, live to see this kind of love, selflessness, work ethic, trust, and belief in each other for a very long time. And, you know, you see this kind of a thing where, you know, the star, the, the all SEC player comes off the court and coach Barnes is, is after him about something. Um, mm-hmm. He's not yelling and screaming and cursing him, and he's not going to headbutt him and throw a chair and all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> he is saying things to him about his performance. Same thing with Admiral. These guys take it well. You know, they listen to what he's got to say, and they use it. Uh, you know, Admiral earlier in the year said that uh, his goal was that he wanted to be the favorite player that Rick Barnes has ever had. He just wants to be his favorite player. How unique so, is that? Yeah, I mean, that's, that that's is incredible. amazing. And this mm-hmm. is the kind of a culture he's built, and I don't think he's going to let that slip away. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too. They, the recruits are always talking about the strength and conditioning, the, the shirtless photos of Admiral Schofield, PTC. I, <laughs> PTC, I thought you were going to bring that one up as, as we talked recruiting. I know that was top of mind for you. You've, you've spoke on that topic a number of times over text in a group. But, you know, to that <laughs> – to that end, like, uh, Powell, we were talking some before about whether or not, you know, Kessler or any of these other young men are going to be one and dones. And we don't really know that for sure. Um, you know, we have an image and a thought about what these kids are all about. And if I was, if I were the number one center in high school coming out of high school, I would probably be thinking, yeah, I'd like to get to the NBA and make the money. Uh, but one of the things that's interesting that a lot of these kids are talking about is Rick Barnes's ability and his staff's ability to develop these kids. And so the message I'm getting is they're looking to be developed, which doesn't really to me equate to a one year and done kind of a program. He certainly had one and done guys, I think at, at Texas, but that wasn't necessarily the norm. So hopefully he's getting kids that want to come in and be around for a minute. 
and uh, contribute to the program and grow and have that experience. But how, how awesome is it just to fish in waters that we've really never have been in before with these players? I mean, all of our recruits, all of our top recruits are top 100 recruits that we're pretty much, you know, involved in with now. And, you know, I don't know how that translates down the road if these guys will stay more than a year. I, mean, I don't know. Hopefully they do because, you know, that would be great for us. Hopefully it's good for them. But it's just I was going down the list looking at some of the guys that uh, that the Valquist guys posted on the on the recruits that were here and stuff. And I had to and I had to and I had to go Google them and look and looking at their their stars and stuff. And I was just blown away by, you know, what their ranking was. And stuff. I mean, pretty much, pretty, yeah, I mean, pretty much all of them are like top 50 players. And I was just like, that's incredible. Yeah, I kept highlighting like you did, man. I kept highlighting over all the names. Yeah. I was amazed. I'm like, this is, it's so nice. Now you're not getting one of those three stars that's not ranked in any position and their number, they don't even have a national ranking. And here we're looking mm-hmm. at top 50, a lot of top 50, top 100 players, really cool stuff, really cool stuff. But, but I hope we can still, but I hope we can still find, find the Fulgerson guy. I mean, just because, you know, he's, I think he's special to everybody just because he's from East Tennessee right. and he, he obviously cares about Tennessee and it's and kind of the Dane Bradshaw sort of guy Yeah. and where they just, they care so much about their team and they go out and, you know, maybe they're not as talented as everybody else, but they give everything they got. And it's, 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 it's so enjoyable to have that type of person on your team. Oh yeah. You, you need, you need as many white Iversons as you can have. And well, not too many white Iversons, <laughs> but a couple of them. <laughs> the kind of glue guys to keep everything together. And who would have thought, to your point, maybe that was a, a Bowden. Maybe that was a Bone. Those guys were not highly ranked guys, I don't believe. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought those guys were three-star guys that developed into great players. They're all outside the top 100. Right. So I think Bone would be somebody that Barnes would recruit today if sure. it was like – because he obviously saw something in him. And he has been pretty steadfast with his comments that, like, uh, maybe Rob or Brent has made about how he, this guy, if he could just get him to do what he says, this guy's going to be awesome. And he's right about that. And and this was started, this, you know, those, those, that talk started his freshman year. And, and I remember his freshman year, he didn't play all that well, but he had one game at Vanderbilt where we won. At Vanderbilt, but he dropped in like twenty or something like that, and he—you saw in him then that game what he could be, yeah. And uh, and and so and and that just makes you, um, you know, not that we need to say Barnes knows what he's talking about, but that you just see it on the court that it translates to the court that Barnes saw what he what he did in him, and now you see the product. Yeah, no, it took a couple of years, but he's he's here. He's arrived, and and mm-hmm. just and shout out to Coach Barnes. Appreciate you listening, first and foremost, Coach. But shout out for the development of of this team, and kind of as we wrap up basketball here, I actually had we have a couple mailbag questions. I know Bleed Orange needs to leave here. He's the metamorphosis bombs are starting to hit his system, so he's kind of fading here a little bit. So uh, we've we've actually got a mailbag, a couple of mailbag voice messages that came in, and. If for some of you that haven't heard of this before, we've got a, a, way, a way through SpeakPipe to ask us questions. We'll play live on the, the podcast and we'll answer them. So they've never heard these and you have to pretty much answer both of these. Well, one of them I think is more of a, 
just a voice message, not really a question. This first one actually is from Laval, so we'll play that one. And then we've got our second <laughs> one is from Columbia Vol. He put this one in. So this one, the first one, here we go from Laval. Uh, this is Laval. Can somebody please come wipe my ass for me? Laval <laughs> <laughs> for us. <laughs> you see, this is why we can't have nice things, guys. Wow. Despite the the Sharpie's so nice. <laughs> Thank you, Laval. Despite the generous offer, I'm inclined to acquiesce on your request. Well, here's the second one from Columbia Vol. So, Bleed Orange, if you want to answer this one, you can. How do I get Halle Berry to understand that I'm flattered, but I'm happily married? She mm. just will not stop. <laughs> Talk to David Justice about that one. I'm sure he could tell you. <laughs> uh, you know what? It sounds like somebody just needs to live with her pictures and with her movies and let it go there. Well, hey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe that's another gate 19. I'm not the biggest Halle Berry fan, but I know I get, I'll get in trouble for that one. So I've also gotten into it with the group on a number of other celebrities like uh, Lenny Kravitz's daughter on that beer commercial from the Super Bowl. That's a whole nother topic. But uh, so you said live with their pictures and her videos bleed orange. I think that's his best route and it's really the only thing available to him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Anything else from the, from the expertise of the podcast, because again, these are burning, no pun in t- intended questions. I mean, outside of Swordfish, I'm not a big Halle Berry fan either, so I'll, right. I'll fight that fight with you. Okay, good, good, all right, good, good. I, I like it, I like it. Monster well, Hall was good. Well, thank by well, and you also thought Star is Born was good. PTC, it absolutely, one hundred percent was. <laughs> uh, but no, thank you so much, Laval, for for sending us in that voice message and then Columbia of all as well. I know Drake asked a really interesting, a really interesting one that I really wish it's a merry, it's a merry hookup and put on a, an Island. Uh, another question, a follow-up question that Drake had uh, to PTC's answer that one time, but I cannot say that on the pod quest. I definitely, that he was absolutely brilliant in tagging <laughs> me to that. Well played, sir. You just another get, shout out to you. Yeah. I need to go listen to it, but bleed orange. Thanks for being on. I know you got to run and we're going to do our last segment of the evening, but I appreciate you being on bleed orange early morning. Tomorrow, go big orange. And you guys have a great week. Have a good one, dad. Alrighty, dad. All righty. See you, sir. Well, now that we've got the, the, uh, the anchor off of our ankles here. I felt like I was swimming in the ocean with an anchor. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Love you, dad. Great job tonight. But last thing we want to talk about here on the podcast as we kind of round up tonight, because we are forward thinkers, we kind of do set the tone now for the board, which it's a responsibility and a duty for us on this Sunday podcast, again, to set the tone for the rest of the week for everybody. So we're actually going to talk spring football a little bit. I know there's a lot of pandemonium and excitement around basketball, but with spring ball coming up, let's talk about that a little bit. So, uh, Priest, I'll bring it to you first real quick. Where, do you, where are some of the storylines, right? Five and seven season, low expectations in year one. We won't use the year zero term, but year one, low expectations. They didn't really do <clears> – <throat> they won some games. They should have won, lost some games. They shouldn't have – shouldn't have lost, but where do you see this team going into spring football, getting some transfers in, et cetera, et cetera? How do you think this spring pans out for the Vols? Yeah, it, it kind of feels like it's 
his first year again, and I, I don't really know why I feel point. that way. Good point. I, I think it, I think it's because you know with the coaching changes, you know, bringing in Chaney, bringing in Ainsley, you know, those are some big time deals. I, I'm interested to see that the dynamic of how Chaney works on the offense, um, and then how how involved. I mean, we know Pruitt will be extremely involved with the defense, but how how much more of a you know, as they say, CEO is he? Um, with this team this year, I'll definitely be looking at that. Um, I, I'm interested to see the newcomers um, of what the you know what these studs look like. You know, you have you have uh, Q on on the defensive side, and then you have I'm really excited to see what Chris Ocparogene looks like just from a size standpoint because there's no one. He's a, he's a big boy. Um, I'd be interested to see see how well he survives in the spring. Um, I know the spring can be long for freshmen, especially. Um, I believe he hasn't turned 18 yet, so I think he's still like 17 years old. So it should be um, interesting to see him develop throughout the spring, and then just um, see who steps up in defense, especially in, in, you know in the safety spot. I could easily um, see two different starting safeties next year and, and Nigel Warrior not being one of them just from a base of talent that they brought in. Um, you know, he is the incumbent, but I mean, he makes mistakes and, and he's being tried to be recruited over. So uh, be interested to see how the safety position plays out on the defensive side. Real quick on Nigel Warrior, to your point, Priest, I think that uh, he may have hit his ceiling in terms of mental capacity. Because it seems like he just can't get it. Guy has all the physical tools in the world, has some good instincts, but just can't figure out where to be when he needs to be there. And, and I think it that that's one of his biggest problems is he thinks too. He's having to think too much and process, and it slows him down. He can't just pin his ears back and fly to the ball like he did in high school. So I I, I completely agree with that PTC. I think. I think the mental part of the game is, is going to be holding him back from being as great as everybody wanted him to be. I also think you saw enough of Flowers to see the the difference in athleticism yep. um, between the two. And and you know if you you know if y'all remember Flowers was a possible pretty high draft pick in the uh, in the dra- in the NBA draft, and so this guy's super athletic, <laughs> and you could see that on the field. He Unfortunately, he got hurt, missed a lot, uh, missed probably half the season. But before he got hurt, he, um, you know, he made some plays out there that we haven't seen a, a safety make in a while. Yeah, I mean, he was a heck of a baseball player. Like that, he he could have made a lot of money by going yeah. and playing baseball. And it, it, this is what his just his second year playing like yeah. com- very competitive football. So I mean, what yeah. he showed. Just in the West Virginia game, he made some plays. He did get lost, but, I mean, heck, <laughs> the kid's only been playing football for a year, but he makes up for it in athletic ability. So, yeah, I I easily he, see uh, Flowers taking one of those spots. Yeah, if he, I don't know if y'all remember. He made it in when uh, when we was playing Georgia when they brought the – I can't remember what his name is. The the second-team quarterback, they brought him in just for a couple plays Georgia did. And he actually – I don't know if you remember or not, he actually, Flowers actually picked him off, but we got called for roughing the passer on that play. Mm. Yeah, when they brought and Fields in. When they brought they brought Fields in for like a couple plays, and they ran him a couple plays, and then they let him throw it, and he threw one down the sideline, and Fields made an unbelievable interception down the sideline, and and it was, you know, it was taken off because we we were called for reffing a reffing a passer or something. Right. But anyway, just 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 that just he showed there his his ball skills, just going and getting the ball, and that's you know something. We ain't, we ain't you know, had that in a while. Exactly. I don't think, and I don't Mm-mm. think Warrior has that in him. 
Right. Yeah. He drops everything and hits him in the hands. Right. Because he's had Mm -hmm. those. He's been in. He's been in position and just completely dropped him. And then it's one of these. You look at your hands and then hands go on the helmet. It's like, dude, like have soft hands. Like come. It's right there. (laughs) So um, I'm actually looking forward to. Again, I was looking at some of the early enrollees. I I think you know looking at Middleton. I believe that was his name, defensive tackle, JUCO guy. I'm interested Mm -hmm. in kind of how he comes about. And and how how he does how he fares you know obviously the defensive line is going to be interesting this this next year coming up and then offensive line uh, Chris Akperegini I know Priest how many times did you practice his last name because I think I still say it wrong I'm pretty sure I do about as many vowels as it has in it <laughs> <laughs> but you know obviously and, you know you're looking at the Wanya Morris's and is Wright Wright's an early enrollee as well is he or is he um, no, he no, won't be no. here until the summer. He's not? He's not? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully getting a little bit more depth on the offensive line. Now, are there any playmakers that you're hoping could, that, that stand out? Because I th- I know that was a big part as well on off on the offense, getting some speed at the receiver and playmaker position. Are they going to try to put Eric Gray in different positions, or is there somebody that's going to step up at the wide receiver group? I, I would uh, like to see what Jordan Murphy's got. That kid's a burner. Yes. I mean, I'm interested to see, you know, two things with the offense. One, what does JG look like with Cheney at the helm with the true offensive coordinator that knows how to put his quarterbacks in the best positions? I mean, Fromm was a freshman, and he led him to the national championship game by just managing the game. So if he can do that with JG, I mean, that's that, that makes it a very simple read for him. But, yeah, Jordan Murphy's my guy on offense that's a playmaker that could easily blow up this year. Yeah, and, and he was starting – and he was starting to come on when he right before he got injured. He was um, a lot more part of the offense and stuff. He was they were getting the ball to him in different ways, and then he gets yeah. hurt. And yeah, it's uh, going to be. I, I I for one, and you guys have made this point a couple times, but it really hasn't hit me until the last couple of minutes. But just the idea of the point around this feeling like it's another year or a, a fresh kind of new start in year one for for Pruitt, bringing in An, uh, Ainsley and bringing in, especially Cheney. I think. He might win a game or two, I think, with the development of this offense, and, and it's not going to take him three or four years where it's, hey, this is a system, a system guy, and you got to build the system and get the right players. I think Cheney is the type of guy that can mold this offense around all the guys that he's got and what whatever he's got, you know, with it. You know, he did the same thing with Kiffin. I know that was Kiffin's offense, but he worked with Kiffin with the freaking Solons twins, at, you know, on the offensive line. And, and they figure it out a way, Kiffin and, and Cheney did, to have some success, you know, after a number of games. And, again, you've seen what he've done, he's done at Georgia. So I'm, I'm super excited because there are going to be people that ball out under Cheney now. Is it going to be a Murphy? Is it, who's it going to be? I, I'm excited to see that. So I think that's going to be huge to highlight. Um, and I actually talked with one of my buddies I work with, big UGA fan, and he's like, oh, you can have Chaney. And I said, we'll take him gladly because we know what he, what he can do. Um, but I think there's some sour grapes there. So anything- one of my biggest – Go ahead, Paul. One of my biggest gripes, and I'm sure everybody else feels this way, is when we do get a guy that can make plays, we never get him the ball. And I don't understand that. Maybe not last year, but the year before, Callaway seemed like a guy when, you know, um, that was a guy that we needed to get the ball to, and we would we um, we would get him the ball early, and then like he would completely disappear. I don't understand why. Yeah, I just want a guy that we that we're going to go to until they say you're not throwing it to him anymore. You know what I mean? The defense just is 
Because until you make a defense adjust, you can't you can't hit them in a different spot. Because if they're not adjusting to right. what you're doing, the other side's not open. But do you feel yeah. do you feel like Cheney does a good job about that? That I think he does. You know, I think he's going to find that if we're running the ball really well one game, he's not going to like go away from it and start throwing slants. You know, I feel like we've been kind of missing that for a little while now. Like, hey, let's keep feeding the monster. If we're you know if there's a guy we can pass it to, keep hitting them, keep hitting them, and then make them make the defense change to us and then go and, and do something off of that. I think Cheney's going to do that. That's That gets me really excited. Now, who, who are the players going to be? I don't freaking know. <laughs> that's, you know. That's up to them, and you guys know more than I do. But, goodness, I think that Cheney – I'm super excited about Cheney, and I'm glad, glad that we got him. I might be overreacting on Cheney, but I'm pumped. So, feed him whatever he wants. The, the price tag he came with, you, we we better be excited, and, and he better figure out he better figure out how to use the players he has. And you know they use the kind of the cliche saying in, in an article, and that's you know, and I think uh, Coach Pruitt even mentioned it that he's going to be tasked with getting the most out of these players, and you know the players that make the plays, getting the ball in their hands. Well, they say it every year, so let's see if he can actually do it. Oh yeah, it's exciting. We're going from maybe possibly having Will Friend or Osavat as or Osaved as the OC to bringing in Cheney. I'm, I'm just pumped for it. Um, what's the future of football? Oh yeah, one thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where's Osavet been? We need more of him. I thought he was gonna. Yeah. So yeah. one thing I did want to ask you guys. So we're actually well, we'll we'll talk about it offline. But um, anything else on anything else on spring ball that kind of getting this thing fresh? You know, talking about it, anything else that you guys see that is going to be a storyline? I want to see what Savion Williams does. Okay. Is, is he in yet, or will he be here in the summer? I think he's is, here. Is he summer. in I think, he, no, yeah. I think he's, I think he's here. I don't remember if he's an EE or not. I think he is. But um, if he's not, then, you know, if he can have a big fall camp, he could find himself a big time playing role. He can find himself a big check, too. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you all this. Does – do you all do you all think that the early enrollees have a better chance of not hitting the freshman wall like a lot of guys do like during the season? I don't think it hurts them. I, I think it at least gets them acclimated to college life. Um, it, but they may be able to kind of drink from the fire hose through the spring and then and come in with more confidence and knowledge in the fall. So yeah, I, I'm sure it does help a little bit. And 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 most of our and well, I'm not say most, but we've got at least two. Uh, early enrollees that are offensive linemen that may may push starting positions. We at least one of them probably will start. And um, the you know in Chris A. I mean I think he has. And I saw um, I believe it was a I think one of the mods posted something about um, doing when with the weight lifting and everything going on that he was one of the strongest guys already on the team. So I just think it. Uh, I just think it makes a big deal for the offensive line. I think, you know, we just got to have those guys come on. And I think we'll be okay everywhere else. Maybe we're not superstars everywhere else. But we got to get that offensive line fixed this year. Or at least working in toward that, toward, working toward getting it fixed. Right. Well, again, you've got three, probably, you know, you've got four with, with uh, Lampley and Morris and Wright and Chris A., that's a pretty good little foundation to, to fix in the O line. Now you don't want to necessarily throw about you know throw out four freshmen out there, but 
add them to what we got. And hopefully did, did Richmond, is he officially gone? Is he still living in the portal? What's happening with that? Do we know? He has to graduate first before he does anything because he wants to uh, be a true graduate transfer. So he can't do anything until he matriculates. That's just a crazy, crazy, interesting situation. But yeah, I think good riddance for him. You know, kind of he can go start fresh, and we can start fresh. But uh, it's, it's, it's going to, from what I've heard, and it's going to blow the board up. But I've heard that he's going to be probably going to Ohio State. <laughs> oh wow! And do what? Sit? I I don't know. But that's where he's like wanting to go, and apparently they're interested in him. Oh wow! Well, that's if you made it to the end of the podcast, you got some nine ninety five right there. So only on the podcast you get that those details. So anyway, but uh, anything else, guys? As we kind of wrap this thing up tonight, nah, mm-hmm. we covered pretty much everything, and we did a fantastic. Uh, our fans again. I just I want to go back to our fans and what they did for us on Saturday. Well done, everyone that was there. I thought you were talking about the podcast fans. I, I was like, yeah, everything for the fans. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. But we, I, yeah, go ahead, pal. No, I agree with him, though. I mean, uh, as far as uh, what PTC was saying was about the about the fans Saturday, that was that was. You know, I wasn't at the game; I was watching on TV. But you could definitely tell the fans were in the game pretty much the whole game. That was awesome. Oh yeah, no, it, it was an amazing, amazing week for Tennessee recruiting and and basketball all the way around. They're just absolutely on fire right now. So congratulations to Rick Barnes and his program. Also, just a couple house cleaning items for everyone listening. Go download us on iTunes. I think we're almost there on Google Play. So you, you know, one percenters on those Android devices will be able to download us soon. Just keep going to SoundCloud. We appreciate all the the listens and downloads, and we hope you guys have a great time listening to this. We set the standard for all things Tennessee. We're excited to have you. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope everybody has a good night. Do you guys want to say good night? Go Vols. Agreed. Go Vols. Good night, guys. Have a good night, and thank you for listening.